Well, welcome, friends. First Sunday of Advent, the beginning of a new season in the Christian life. In fact, it's the first season in the Christian tradition, the beginning of a new year. We light our Advent candle this morning as a reminder of this new season, and we step into uh, this powerful opportunity to remind ourselves of why Jesus is born, what it means for us as followers of Jesus, and certainly what it means for the world, for Christ to step in. And we've chosen this year to uh, sort of fashion ourselves around a theme called Christmas Kaleidoscope. Kaleidoscopes are fascinating instruments, aren't they? Anybody have a kaleidoscope? Yeah, they're kind of fun, aren't they? They're interesting. And you get mesmerized by them. You kind of get fascinated by them. Uh, it's, they're captivating. And we started it as kids, didn't we? Most of us saw them or have them when we were children. And, and we just love the imagery that comes out. And it, it's beautiful the way it refracts the light and the way the images keep changing and keep going. What some of us may not know is that it's a relatively new invention, right? It's only 200 years old, invented by a, a Scottish inventor in 1817 named David Brewster. And he discovered that there were two primary things that needed to work together, and he experimented for years before he finally put together what you and I now know as the simple kaleidoscope that children can make now. But those two principles are light is reflective, right? And it reflects off of all kinds of things. We know that like the back of our hand today. And the second is that white light, or basically all light, has uh, all the colors of the rainbow in it, the Roy G. Biv, if you remember all the colors in the, in the rainbow. And, and that a kaleidoscope is based upon those two simple principles, and what they do is reflect light. And those light reflections captivate us in objects by reflecting angles as you look through the tube of a kaleidoscope. And we get fascinated by it. Some of us have the plastic ones. Some of us have the paper ones. Some of us have the fancy metal ones or the maybe handmade wooden ones. But they're all beautiful. They're all glorious when you look through them, right? Well, I love the kaleidoscope. And, and I'm captivated not only by the concept but by the name kaleidoscope. I mean, that is a weird name, isn't it? kaleidoscope. And, and I kind of nerd out on you this morning because I'm going to tell you where the Greek words come from. I took Greek in seminary, so every once in a while I love to get captivated by those words. But the, the words that create kaleidoscope are three. One is callus, from which we get calla lily. Callus. Callus means beauty. It's beautiful to look at those images, right? Then we have eidos, which means to be seen. We're going to see the beauty. And then finally, scope, which we have telescope. We look through the scope, right? So kaleidoscope is the beauty that we see as we look through the scope. It's fascinating, isn't it? And even to this day, many of us adults, even though we loved them as kids, we love looking through them and looking at them even to this day. It's why we chose this theme, Christmas Kaleidoscope. Because a part of what we believe is that Jesus is the light of the world. And as the light of the world, Jesus reflects the characteristics and qualities of God onto a broken world. What we know is that Jesus was born as God made flesh, and through his humanity and through his birth that we are preparing for in this season of Advent, we're preparing to welcome his birth so that the light of the world can shine God's light upon the brokenness in the world. Jesus becomes the very image and the mold of God, shaping us as his followers into that same light that can be reflected in the world. So every Sunday over the next several weeks as we make ready for Jesus' birth on Christmas Day, through this season of Advent, we're going to 
Look at these reflections of light, the light of joy and peace, the light of hope and justice, the light of forgiveness and love. Each one has its own sort of reflection. Each one has its own imagery for us and the ways in which it impacts who we are and how it is that we live out that light in the world. I'm so excited about Advent. And in fact, we can't, we can't explore the season of Advent. We can't reflect on this preparation time except by looking back at the prophets of old. The prophets in the Hebrew Scriptures foreshadowed and foretold of this coming Messiah who we know to be Jesus. And so in and through these prophets who wrote hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, we begin to see the story told that a Messiah is coming. And he would bring hope and light, and he would bring love and joy, and he would bring justice and mercy and forgiveness. The prophets foretold this hundreds of years before Jesus. And one of the most important of those prophets that both Jesus and scholars and everyday folk quote is the prophet Isaiah, because Isaiah has the most profound imagery of how to understand this, this uh, Messiah who is to come. Now, uh, Isaiah has 66 chapters. It's a long book. Most scholars agree there were probably the first portion, the first 39 chapters written by the guy we know as Isaiah. Most prophets, I mean, most professors believe that uh, chapters 40 to 66 might have been written by another guy in his image, reflecting his words and thoughts, but almost 200 years later. But what we know is that it starts some 800 years before Jesus is born. And then even the second part of Isaiah was written some 600 years before the birth of Christ. And yet, when we read the prophecy of Isaiah over and over and over again, we can't help but see the imprint of the life and the teachings, the death, and even the resurrection of Christ. And we don't believe that Isaiah himself literally knew Jesus, but we know that the prophet knew a Messiah was to come. We know that he was prophesying that that Messiah would bring the very qualities and characteristics of who we know Jesus to be. And so as followers of Jesus, we look back on Isaiah and say, there's no question that what he's saying is about this guy that we put our whole faith in, all of our trust in. And it's important that we review that because we value what it is Isaiah shares with us even to this day. And what's fascinating is that Isaiah, the prophet, will help us see in a very clear light today that Jesus, the Messiah, in and through his birth and his life and his teachings, he brings justice in a very real and tangible way. So I want to start first in Isaiah chapter 42, which is the first of a series of passages out of Isaiah that helps us to best understand this reality. I want to read to you the first four verses of Isaiah chapter 42. Here is my servant, God says, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wicked he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teachings. Friends, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Well, when you read Isaiah 42, these first four verses, it's real clear what the purpose and the function of this Messiah is, right? Justice. He will establish justice. He will bring forth justice. He will not cry or be bent until he establishes justice. What we know is that this Messiah is to bring justice into the world. It becomes sort of foundational, so much so that the gospel writer of Matthew would take the entire four verses that I just read and plunk it right down in the middle of chapter 12 of his gospel. And he would do that because he wanted to demonstrate over and over again, not just this particular section, but it's fascinating that it's these specific four verses in Matthew chapter 12. He's trying to demonstrate that Jesus, the guy we believe, the man who we believe is our Lord and Savior, is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And that as the fulfiller of that prophecy, he is the one who brings justice. He is the one who demonstrates the realities of God's wholeness for the world. Now, just put a pin in that because that's important. Isaiah chapter 42, the first four verses make it very clear. This is what the Messiah is to do, to establish justice, to bring justice into the world, to make it real for the world. What we also know is that within the, the prophecy of Isaiah, there are at least three other passages in addition to Isaiah 42 that are known commonly as what are referred to as the suffering servant passages. That is to say, someone or some entity will need to suffer in order to bring reconciliation or to bring redemption to people. And that's our belief, right? Jesus had to suffer and die on the cross in order for redemption to be brought into the world. That's what we believe. Israelites, when they would have read the prophet Isaiah, would have believed that Israel as a nation would be not only the chosen people of God, but those who would need to suffer in order for them to become redeemed. But when we as followers of Jesus read Isaiah and we read these four suffering servant passages, we begin to recognize, wow, there's something in that that has great value to who Jesus is and what it is Jesus brought into the world. That's what we're preparing ourselves for in Advent. So we just saw it in chapter 42, right? Jesus, uh, the Messiah, is to come and bring justice and establish it in the world. You skip over to chapter 49 of Isaiah, where we likewise have a suffering servant passage, the first six verses of Isaiah chapter 49, and you begin to see there's a repetitive pattern in these four passages, and it's justice. Look at Isaiah 49 verse 4 where the suffering servant is referring to God and referring to the way in which God would speak into his life. And it says, nevertheless, the Lord will grant me justice so that my reward will be in God. So if that suffering servant, the coming Messiah, is to indeed do what they need to do and find their reward in God, they know that God's justice is coming to them. Skip over to chapter 50, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 8. And likewise, this suffering servant, the one who suffers on behalf of the world, says, he who gives me justice is near. In other words, the suffering servant recognizes that God is near, the God who created justice, the God who wants justice to be established, the God who makes justice possible is near to this servant who will emulate that justice. And then finally, Isaiah chapter 53. This is the last of the suffering servant passages. And in verse 8, likewise, it talks about justice, but in an odd way. Notice what it says in verse 8. By a perversion of justice, 
he was taken away. That's like Jesus. By a perversion of justice, he was taken to the cross. He was taken to the grave. He was taken away. I want to issue you a challenge this morning. I want, to, I want to invite you to read Isaiah 53 when you go home today. Whole chapter, there's just 12 verses. Isaiah 53 is a powerful treatise on the coming Messiah, and when you read it as a follower of Jesus, you cannot help but believe. That's all about Jesus. Some 600 years before he's born, chapter 53 of Isaiah is presenting us Jesus. Everything from the way in which he was born to his heritage, to the way in which he suffered and died, to the way in which he took on our sins, by the way in which he bore the cross, all of it, chapter 53, describes what you and I believe to be Jesus himself. And a part of what Isaiah 53 says, like Isaiah 50 and 49 and 42 is, that the Messiah comes to bring justice, comes to issue what it is God intended from the very beginning, and that we as the followers of this Messiah are to reflect that light like a kaleidoscope into the world because the light of the world, Jesus, is reflected in and through us so that we can reflect that light out into the world. So what is this justice? What, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> How does it work? I mean, we see it here in, all, in the Hebrew Scriptures, and we're told we're called to it, but, but what does it look like? Well, just quite simply, justice is a very straightforward concept, but it is not easy. Justice simply put means making right what is wrong in the world. At its simplest form, that's what justice is, making right what is wrong in the world. And heaven knows <laughs> there's plenty wrong in the world, right? I mean, there are oppressive nations, and there are uh, people who discriminate, and there, are, uh, there is a water crisis, and there are humans that are trafficked, and there is poverty, and there is hunger, and there's, there's all kinds of things that are wrong in the world. And a part of what the Scriptures tell us and what Jesus is calling us to is to write those wrongs. Over and over and over again in the Hebrew Scriptures, and Jesus would claim it as a fulfillment, that we are called to right these wrongs. It starts at the very beginning. In the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the, the books that are called the law, the law that called the Hebrews to accountability and to, to bring order into the chaotic world, the law spoke it very clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 16. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, it literally just says, justice and only justice you shall pursue so that you can now enter the land and live and, and habitate in the land that I will provide you. Justice and only justice you shall pursue. That's pretty straightforward. <laughs> Make right that which is wrong in the world. Now, when most of us think of justice, that's not exactly what we think about. When most of us think about justice, we think about um, helping right a wrong by putting somebody in jail or charging them a fine or making corrections to their life. That would be what is often referred to as retributive justice. Now, I know that's a big old word, but retributive justice simply means that we uh, provide a punishment for the action. 
And for most of us, that's what we think of as justice, right? That, by golly, you broke the law. You need to pay for your problem. You need to go to jail or you need to uh, have a fine or what have you. You need to go to court. And retributive justice is real. It's actually described in Scripture, but it's not what the preponderance of justice described in the Old Testament is. It's there, mind you. That's where an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth comes from, retributive justice. But by far, in the Old Testament, when the Hebrew word mitzvah is used, mitzvah means restorative justice. And restorative justice is quite different. Restorative justice means restore the original intent. That is to say, God's original intent, like it was in the garden, where all things were well and everybody loved God and everybody loved each other and that we were doing what we were called to do and we were relating to each other and caring for each other and kind and gracious and nurturing for one another until we ate from the fruit. But restorative justice and the justice that the prophets are calling us to and the justice that Jesus is claiming for us to reflect is restorative justice. Now, a way to think about the difference between retributive and restorative is retributive would be like the Nuremberg trials right after World War II, where Nazi criminals were gathered together and they went to court and they had consequences for their behavior. That would be retributive justice, and rightfully so. Restorative justice might look a little bit more like the truth and reconciliation uh, confirmations in South Africa after apartheid where the primary function of the truth and reconciliation courts were to find the truth, to seek confession and reconciliation, and everyone for whom that became true, any African who helped participate in apartheid, who confessed their crimes and who sought uh, to to, um, repent of their sin, were not put in prison, but offered life and hope and re-entry into the community, restorative justice, seeking to confess, to repent, and seek wholeness. Isn't that what Jesus came for? Isn't that what he brings? Isn't that what he offers? Is the opportunity to know that even though I have wronged, Even though there is wrong in the world, there can still be reconciliation. There can still be wholeness. There can still be right come out of the wrong. And a part of what we begin to see is that Isaiah is highlighting this as he foreshadows the prophet who is to come, the Redeemer who is to come, the Messiah who is to be born. And I reflect that Jesus, when he would quote Hebrew scriptures, he would quote most commonly from two books, Psalms, because they're beautiful and point us to God and help us connect with God, and Isaiah the prophet. Over and over again through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus is quoted uh, by quoting some of the Hebrew scriptures, it's almost always from Isaiah or the Psalms. And I begin to realize in those contexts, there is mention and, and, and fullness of justice throughout. Think about, for instance, uh, Psalm 89. In Psalm 89, as the psalmist describes who God is and what God can bring, he literally just says in verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. 
righteousness and justice. What should we do with that? What should we do about that? How should we live into that? Then I recall Isaiah himself in the very first chapter. Isaiah says that we need to, in verse 17, that we need to learn to do good, to seek justice, to, to, to uh, rescue the oppressed, to defend the orphan, to, to speak forth on behalf of the widow. And I'm convinced those are images of what that justice looks like. And then, of course, who could forget Micah 6, 8? But what does the Lord require? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Justice becomes the foundation upon which Jesus as the Messiah enters the world. Think about this with me. In the Hebrew Scriptures, the word justice, the concept of justice, mispot, is referenced 170 times. That's a lot. You know, that's more than the word pray is in Scripture. That's more than the word forgiveness is in Scripture. And by golly, if, if forgiveness and prayer aren't foundational to who we are, I don't know what is. And therefore, when we think about the word justice, the concept of justice, how we make right that which is wrong in the world, we've got to begin to realize it must be pretty foundational too. And it indeed is what Jesus brings into the world to right the brokenness that is real in the world. That's why he's here. It's not the only reason he's here, but it's one of the most profound reasons that he's here. And the gift that he offers is that we are called to reflect that light to others. So when Jesus is born, in just a few short weeks, we will celebrate that in a grand and glorious way. When he's born, he not only brings love and joy, peace and hope, but Jesus also brings justice, to restore God's original creation, to help bring about the wholeness that God desires for all of the creation. And we have the glorious opportunity to reflect that for others. Listen to how Isaiah put it earlier in his book, chapter 9, verse 7, as he describes the Messiah who is to come. He says, authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and of his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time on and forevermore. What a powerful gift that is to know that we can reflect that gift just like a kaleidoscope with its beauty and its mesmerizing figures, how it shines beauty into our eyes and into the world. I wonder if we can't do the same with regard to the ways that we can make right what is wrong in the world today. May God guide us, may God strengthen us, and may God help us bring justice in the light of Christ, Jesus our Christ. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, whose birth we celebrate just weeks in the making. Help us, Lord, to be mindful that not only does he bring hope and joy, peace and love, but he also issues forth and establishes justice. May we be about those same priorities. May we take courage and may we take strength 
to make right the wrongs in the world simply and solely as a reflection of the light of the world, Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. In His name we now pray. Amen.